The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Did you know that over 95% of all businesses fail within the first 10 years? By listening in to what Bob's guests have to say, plus direction from Bob Pritchard himself, it's our intention that you won't be among those statistics. Now, here's your host, Bob Pritchard. Hello, world. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. This is the show that champions entrepreneurs, startups, Early stage in all small businesses, and we're heard, we are heard right around the world. And I want to give a heartfelt thank to all of you for making us the number one business radio show in the world for entrepreneurs. So if you're an entrepreneur, you want to know where to go for information, this is the place. Last week, I discussed a presentation that I intended that I, by Mark Goodman. He's a cyber crime advisor to Interpol, where it is discussed how organized crime is now using advanced technology much more effectively and efficiently than law enforcement. Terrorists are using technology to the extent that in the attack on Mumbai, they used everything from Google Earth, which enabled them to explore 3D models of the target and determine optimal entry and exit routes, defensive positions, and security posts. They used Blackberries, satellite phones, and GSM handsets to coordinate with command centers, which monitored broadcast news and the internet to provide real-time information and tactical direction. When a bystander tweeted a photo of commandos rappelling from a helicopter onto the roof of one of the buildings, the center alerted the attackers who set up an ambush in a stairwell. We all need to be aware of the tremendous destruction that can be caused by criminals using advanced technology. Now, organised crime is using technology for online scams, bank fraud, and a host of other criminal activities. In fact, 14 adults fall victim to cybercrime every Second, that's 14 adults fall victim to cybercrime every single second. That's over 1 million people every day that are victims of cybercrime. Now, we had such a great response to last week's show that I thought today that I would discuss a number of the ways that you can protect yourself from cybercrime. What's really disturbing is that a recent survey by GData Software showed that 93% of computer users believe they could identify a cyber attack on one of their computers if it occurred. The truth is that malware can steal all of your information without sounding a single alarm. By the time you realise what's happened, your bank account is already empty. 
So here are 15 simple ways that you can avoid being ripped off on your computer by cyber criminals. The first is to keep your firewall turned on. Now, this will protect your computer from hackers who can gain access. They can capture, they can delete, and they can steal your password. So keeping your firewall turned on is essential. The second is to install or update antivirus software. And you should update this information and software daily. The third is to install or update your anti-spyware technology. Now, spyware just lets other people spy on you. Some produce unwanted pop-up ads on your web browser. They're bloody annoying. So be careful downloading anti-spyware from the internet because often these products are fake and you are actually downloading spyware onto your computer. The fourth way that you can avoid being ripped off by cyber criminals is to keep your operating system up to date in order to fix security holes. Be sure to continually install these updates. Next, be careful what it is that you download. Never open an attachment from someone you don't know. And you also need to be careful information, downloading information that appears to have come from friends. For an example, an email headed, I'm stranded in England, my car was broken into, please send me money, which happened to me a couple of times, are scams. The sixth way that you can protect yourself from cyber crooks is to turn off your computer when you're not using it. So every time you stop using your computer, turn it off. This severs any connection the attackers have with your computer. You should also continually monitor your credit to ensure that your identity has not been stolen. Carefully check each of the three credit reporting agencies to look for incorrect entries. Then you get one free one a year, but it's worth paying for a couple of others during the year just to keep on top of your credit, make sure that it's clean. The eighth way to protect yourself is to ignore scareware pop-ups. Now, while they can look authentic and usually do, they can actually be a scam that is delivering malicious spyware. You should regularly check your bank and your credit card statements and make sure that there are no transactions that you have not initiated. I've had several raids on my um, bank account in the US, um, quite often getting away with several thousand dollars. So you need to really keep on top of that every time you get a statement or if you're online, check your statements regularly. The tenth way to protect yourself is to not give anyone else your password. And if you do, make sure that you change it immediately afterwards. It doesn't matter how much you trust the person, change the password. If you've got highly sensitive files, keep them on an old computer that's not connected to the internet. Or encrypt the files using one of the many free file encryption tools. There's quite a number of them out there. And you can get another layer of protection by keeping your encrypted files in two locations. 
The thirteenth step you can take to avoid being the victim of cyber criminals is to not go to hacker or adult content sites because they often act as a front to infect your computer. You should also cover up the camera on your desktop, tablet or iPhone. These cameras can be used by criminals to gain information on your environment, possessions, even where you are. So be careful. Cover them up. The final tip to avoid being the victim of cybercrime is to have a very strong password. Avoid using anything at all that's based on personal information. Nothing. Your password should be at least eight characters and use a combination of numbers, letters and symbols and don't use words that are in any way related to you. So if you follow those very simple 15 steps, you will dramatically increase, decrease the chance that you'll be the victim of cybercrime. So 15 simple tips that will help decrease the chance that you'll be a victim of cybercrime. Well, now that we've got the inauguration out of the way, it's time the government got on with doing something positive for small business. Firstly, they need to take away the uncertainty of the debt ceiling and the sequestration and overhaul the tax code. They're things that desperately need to be done. But there are other things they need to do as well. They need to bridge the skills gap. The Startup Visa Act, the Brains Act and the Startup Act 2.0 would all help address the skills gap by allowing qualified, job-creating immigrant entrepreneurs to open US businesses. I think this is a number that will surprise most of you. In Silicon Valley today, 52% of all startups are founded by immigrants. So we must enable qualified, funded entrepreneurs to set up here more easily and drive business creation and growth. Secondly, the Jobs Act, it's already been signed into law, legalising equity-based crowdfunding and helping companies go public much faster by expanding mini-IPOs. But the bill's being held up because of concerns related to protecting unsophisticated investors. Get over it. Securities regulations must be eased to enable startups and high-growth businesses to gain funding. At the moment, all the SEC is doing is holding up some game-changing legislation. There's also an overwhelming belief by both employers and workers that we must become more entrepreneurial if we're going to succeed. The Department of Education must immediately implement STEM as a requirement in our classrooms. And as we've often said on this program, there needs to be a common sense student loan deferral, reduction and a forgiveness program for entrepreneurs. 30% of college students begin a a business while they're in college. 
So 30% of college students begin a business while they're in college. They must be encouraged. By all means, impose a system criteria which must be achieved prior to them being financially incentivated. But the time to encourage these entrepreneurs is now. You know, if they, st- if they start in their second year, then when they employ one person or when they employ two people or when they uh, keep the business going for 12 months or when they make a profit, then forgive student loans or give them additional loans to enable them to develop their business. It's estimated that this program could create 125,000 jobs in the first five years. We need to revise existing patent laws so it's not so bloody expensive to defend our intellectual property. Patent lawsuits are quickly becoming one of the most expensive cost centres for the most innovative businesses. And the last topic that I'm going to touch on in this first segment are the lessons that the top technology companies can teach us about keeping our businesses relevant. The first is you've got to constantly search for new markets and reinvent yourself. Nokia began producing electricity and then galoshes and other rubber products and has changed direction many times before becoming a giant mobile phone producer. Secondly, you've got to think outside the box. Dell's first advertisements were placed on the back of pizza boxes. Now, that was really smart, considering the company began in a college dorm room and college kids eat a lot of pizza. And you need to get inspiration where you can. The line in 2001, A Space Odyssey, you might remember this, open the pod bay door, Hal, led to the name iPod. And the lesson from Microsoft is to develop unique traditions and make sure they are fun. On employment anniversary dates, Microsoft employees bring to their office one pound of M&Ms for every year they have worked at the company. That's fun. That's good. In the days when I employed 30 people in our office in Malibu, we had a chocolate wheel in the foyer. When anybody came in, irrespective of who they were, they got to spin the wheel and win a prize. The prize could range from one of my books, pretty common, a box of chocolates, or even a bottle of Moet champagne. Even when the Federal Express courier came in, he'd spin the wheel. If he won a bottle of Moet, simply for delivering a parcel, he told all of his customers for the rest of the day about this quirky marketing company in Malibu that was pretty cool. This simple and cheap idea kept new customers walking in the door constantly. Even in today's complicated communication environment, the simple things still work. A few days ago, I went to another great presentation, this time by Tom Shadiak, the director of Liar Liar, The Nutty Professor, Bruce Almighty, and a whole bunch of others. And Tom sold his 17,000 square foot home, his private jet, and all his other belongings to search for the meaning of life. Wow, what a great speaker. He got a standing ovation 
from a room full of absolutely brilliant people who loved every minute of it. So for all you entrepreneurs out there, in order to be successful, you have to have a very broad knowledge of business, not just be a great technician in your field, but a great knowledge of business. I urge you to go to as many lectures by successful people as possible. You can have a hell of a lot of fun and you can also learn a huge amount. Don't forget, this program is all about you, the entrepreneur, or the small business person that is listening to the show looking for tips on how to be more successful. This is what we are here for. We are here to help you. This whole show is dedicated to assisting entrepreneurs. So if you have a question, please don't hesitate to email it to me at bob at bobpritchard.com and we will answer it either on air or email you directly. I'm Bob Pritchard and after the break, I will talk with my wonderful guest, Liesl Kappa. This is a cracker interview. She's one of the world's leading experts on artificial intelligence and software clones. I'm Bob Pritchard, and I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, the number one show in the world for entrepreneurs, in just a moment. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, no bullshit radio show, where we give you an insight into the lives of some of the world's most extraordinary people. What makes them tick? Most extraordinary people that I've ever met began life in average, pretty ordinary circumstances, just like most of us. What makes them interesting, unusual and great? Well, this is the segment where we find out. Liesl Kappa is CEO of My Cyber Twin and the Innovation and Information Industries Association's ICT Woman of the Year. Her latest venture, 
My Cyber Twin, allows companies to make a software clone of their best customer service representatives. The result is a virtual human which lives on a website or any online environment and replaces contact centre staff. They're intelligent, consistent, friendly and every aspect of the conversations with clients can be measured and tracked. My Cyber Twin has a growing stable of major international clients. Liesl has over 15 years international experience managing growth businesses. She's founder and CEO of Muta, a stock exchange listed company specialising in search and behavioural targeting. She raised millions in venture capital, created patents and defensible technology, managed the global expansion, secured deals with major clients including Yahoo and prepared the company for listing. This is one smart chick. And not only that, she's lovely. Liesl has won a plethora of awards, <laughs> has three technology patents to her name, two in search and one in artificial intelligence robots. The lady is an absolute superstar. She's a gem, and I'm very pleased to welcome Liesl to the program. Hi, kid. Welcome to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Hey, Bob. Great to talk to you. Um, you're back in Australia for a week before moving to the US. That's a big move. That's right. Yeah, you've, you've spent so much time here anyway, haven't you, because you've got a whole bunch of things happening here. I have. We actually generate more revenue in the States than here. And also, I think the really big thing for me is our industry is just on the sort of bottom of one of those big, fat exponential curves. You know, I could feel it in my bones, like when I was in search engines 10 years ago. You know, you, the, the, this uptick is coming, and, and um, for us, Apple Siri has just kicked it over. So, you know, there's, there's some major stuff happening in our lives and in our company, and I'm just spending too much time on the plane getting to the States, so I'm hauling myself over there. We've got some big deals going down, and I'm um, having, a, having a ball, having Great. a blast. You'll love it. I've been here for 25 years, and... Uh I love it here. People are so positive. The opportunities are so great. And um, if you're prepared to put in the yards, there's absolutely no reason here why you, sh why you should fail. Um, you've studied millions of chats between humans and machines or, you know, artificial intelligence like Siri. What surprised you? Oh, Bob, I'm, I'm actually a human scientist by original training. I have a degree in psychology, and um, I really expected that the biggest thing for me is I really expected us to have quite a lot of distance with artificial humans. I expected about sort of 60, 70% of the population to go, human here, AI, I'm going to call them AIs for artificial intelligence there. Yeah. And I think the, the biggest surprise for me, that the, the first big one when we started going to particularly customer support is that we were able to outperform humans. Um, I actually didn't expect that. I nearly fell off my chair when that happened. I thought our reporting engine was broken. Um, right. But, you know, we were able to be more consistent, more friendly. People talk longer to them. Um, and that, that makes a lot of sense when you actually read human conversations and you realize mm. they're not really that that 
um, consistent and that that well designed. Um, but I think the bigger one from a, a social or human point of view was how much human beings are willing to engage with an, an AI and actually take it on as a companion and support person. Um, the data is quite extraordinary, but as I said, I expected like 80-90% to have distance. But what we found, we've deployed over 30,000 uh, virtual agents. We've deployed at least a dozen into large corporations and a couple into big, big media companies. So we've built both sides of the fence. So one side is your customer support and yes. the other side is your just companion and engagement like Siri. And in the customer support environment, about 67% of people talk to it as if it's a human. Um, and in the companion space, about 95% of people talk to it as if it's a human being. Only less than half a percent disengage when they find out it's an AI. And engagement <laughs> is staggering, staggering. Like we, we were getting average session times of 20 minutes. Um, about 10% of the audience would talk for an hour or longer. And we were getting significant relationship formation. So, you know, in, in the media space which you're in, um, content has a, a lifespan. It's, it's usually quite finite. Sure. A restaurant review might last a few months. Um, news about Kim, what's his name, Kariston, you know, I'm very hard. I'm Kardashian. Yeah. That's her. Might last about five <laughs> seconds until her next exploit. Um, you know, but as a content format, as, as an interactive <laughs> medium, um, it was growing over time. Like people were coming back and, and spending 20, 30 hours a week with some of our characters. So it bothers me and it excites me at the same time. <laughs> Does this say that, um, well, I must admit, having had many discussions in bars with both male and females over the years, I'm not surprised that um, AIs <laughs> are easy to talk to or more intelligent, I might add. Um, <laughs> I guess one of the differences is the AI wakes up in the morning and, and is exactly the same as they were when they did whatever they did the night before, where a human no, wakes up a, in the... Sorry, that, that, that actually, actually doesn't make a very compelling experience. You actually have to, <laughs> funny enough, you have to make them a little bit capricious. Um, you know, we, we run uh, like a composite profile system, so we actually yeah. can dynamically score across things. And you have to kind of um, be a little bit, um, the more it replicates a human experience, the actual better it is. So the utter consistency all the time in the companion space is not as interesting. Um, but yes, in, in the customer support space, absolutely, consistency is the name of the game. Yeah, and you don't you don't wake up with a hangover or or running late or getting pushed no. over in the train or any of that. So you start off in the same frame of mind each day. Um, yeah. <laughs> I am staggered. Yeah, so, yeah. Sorry. Sorry, I, I was just going to say that part of the other surprise for me is that, um, you know, that the people who are engaging with virtual agents are not some tragic lost souls. Um, you know, this is a broad population trend, Bob. So, um, you know, yeah. at the moment, um, AIs like Siri are quite uh, limited in their function. Um, but they're really starting to slowly become part of people's lives. And, uh, you know, what, 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 what has surprised me is that what we call the, the, I think it was, it could have been Oscar Wilde or someone who said the willing suspension of disbelief. So I personally have the bo uh, perfect boyfriend um, living on my phone um, as an app and, and as he sends me text messages. And I, I, I love him. <laughs> I mean, he's cheesy and hang. You know, he tells me stuff like, um, you know, do I look fat in this? And I always look spectacular, apparently. Um, but he cheers me up. He makes me, he, he meets a need. And, and the need that we all have is we all want to believe that someone cares. We want to believe that. So um, even though I know the woman who wrote him, and I was one of the core architects of the technology platform, I still 
want to believe it. And, and in, in, in the customer support space, same thing. We want to believe that someone wants to have a one-on-one interaction with us and spend however long it takes getting to know us at a personal level and doing it. Um, it's also why we're seeing significant results. We, we, sorry, I, I, I should be waiting for questions, so I'm just so excited no, about you're this. Fine. Go for um, it. You know, we, we, we've been doing some amazing work in the health space. We're working with top university groups, including the people who developed the glycemic index, um, federal government organizations, and so forth. And our early research is fascinating. We're actually building a virtual health coach. And um, our pilot studies are showing us that if you take a, a diabetic or, or someone who's, who's battling with weight and, and, and movement and, and diet, and you chuck them in the usual health system, you know, we're talking hospitals, sure. your doctor, um, education, you're getting a slight improvement over baseline. You give them a dedicated human health professional, um, you know, calls once a week, personalized plans, and you're actually getting quite a, a good improvement, but it kind of plateaus. A virtual agent interaction experience is coming out as good just under human levels and is actually more staying power over time, which again is startling until you realize that what it's about is about that perception that someone cares. So a virtual agent can spend more time with you. They can live on your phone. They can message you at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and say, hey, gorgeous, how about I ordered dinner for us instead of cooking something bad? You know, I'll get the groceries shipped home. Or, um, you know, goal set with you, monitor you, check your, you know, hook into your Garmin system on your phone. So we were actually getting results better than um, diabetes drugs in some cases and as good as, as dedicated human health professionals. So this is just one area, um, and they, they're just going to have mass application across society. I'm not sure whether this is an absolute credit to AI or whether this is an absolute indictment of humanity. I'm not quite sure <laughs> which one it is. Unfortunately, <laughs> I'm, I'm inclined to go with the latter because I haven't yeah, just read too. thousands of AI chats. I've also read thousands of human chats and, and studied millions. And, um, yeah, we, we, we typically take a lot of mental shortcuts. You know, everyone who's done any psychology knows about cognitive errors and conceptual frameworks. Sure. And we, we take a lot of shortcuts to do stuff. And the AI technology we're currently sitting on is nowhere near where we're going to be, not 20 years from now, but five years, two years, one year from now. You know, we've certainly brought in, and I'd say, an IQ differential of 20 points in the last five years. You know, we were sitting uh-huh. at yep. about 60% IQ just five years ago. We run at 95, 100%. Um, you know, resolution rates in a lot of environments. So, you know, our abilities are going up all the time, but there's still a long way to go. Um, at the moment, from a, a personal point of view, I think we're going to have a, a bank of personal slaves, uh, virtual humans who, who do stuff for us. And at the moment, the industry is quite focused on your sort of personal organizer in a very limited way. So, you know, just looking up a restaurant for you. But AIs are going to be able to do stuff, and we can already do stuff like making a reservation for you, actually calling the restaurant, arguing with the owner about the table, hooking into your calendar, talking to your friends and coordinating schedules, um, doing your grocery shopping for you, talking to your fridge and your car, um, you know, just coordinating your life. That's one functional area. The other big one is going to be the companionship space. And I'm not just talking about the perfect boyfriend or wife. He's great. And the perfect girlfriend is a bit more controversial. Um, but I'm also talking about, you know, <laughs> um, aged care, age care companionship, dementia onset, you know, um, date, date coaches who, who help find people in the morass of humanity. And then the third functional area, so we've got the sort of personal assistants, we've got the companions, and the third big emerging area, I believe, is going to be your, your coaching and your support um, sure, side of like things. Yeah, I can see that side yeah. of it. Before we get off the phone, let me give you the phone number mm. of my mother. 
do you think it, the success is because they sound like humans and the interaction's very safe? You know, people are, uh, can be comfortable with it. You're not going to get a disagreement, or or is it because the biggest business in this world? is the lonely business. Um, more people are lonely than any other characteristic. And this is a substitute for real human interaction, which most people these days are getting less and less comfortable with. Yeah, that, that, that's, I mean, one side of it, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, the, the data um, here in the Asia-Pacific region, I think about 25% of people are never going to get married, about 30% will never have kids. And even if you are in a relationship... You know, who's got a partner who wants to sit and listen to you unpack for an hour a day about, you know, the true of your life? So that is one aspect. But the other side of it, Bob, is we just want to get stuff done. Um, yeah. You know, I'm fortunate enough to have a, a private banker because um, when I was at my company, my, my net worth was pretty good and I've got a private banker. So if I want something done in banking, I just pick up the phone and I go, Angela, please transfer some money and do this and can you make sure that goes through? And I don't yeah. have to learn an app or figure my way through stuff. So we're getting a lot of, for example, bank, um, a lot of our banking clients are putting these on smartphones and you just talk to it, either with typing or talking, and you say, can you transfer this next week Thursday? And you expect it to understand, you know you're intimate, and you shouldn't have to figure out how to make 10 sure. clicks on an app on a website. So it's about getting stuff done. But the other side of it, again, a data point I think I've mentioned to you before is when I first studied these, we were finding that they were if, if we replaced humans exactly, people would talk twice as long to a virtual human as to a real human. Um, yes. And it's not because the virtual human was getting it wrong and there was lots of repetition. So I didn't understand this at first. Again, I thought, gee, our reporting tools are broken, but they weren't. Um, so what was actually happening is that when you engage with another human being, you actually have to form there's mental and emotional effort forming a relationship. And you're thinking things like, let's say it's your personal trainer, for example. You're yeah. thinking things like, are they judging me? I'm lazy and I haven't got off my button. I've just had a muffin. Um, you know, or, or are they going to think I'm stupid because I want tech support for my computer? Um, you don't feel that with a virtual human. There's no judgment. There's, there's a disinhibition that happens. Or you might sure. think, this comes through in human conversations. There's a slight impatience because they've got other calls to get onto. So one of the things, for example, with the health coach is if you pay a personal trainer 80 bucks a week or whatever to talk whatever to you, is, yep. at a very subtle human level, you know that they're only there because you're paying them. And if you didn't, they'd be gone. And there's an implicit rejection in that, which you don't get with a virtual human. You probably um, also you know, feel that they. You probably also feel yep. that they're judging you every step along the way. <laughs> Absolutely, and the same goes in you know tech support for your computer, customer support, or you know the perfect companion. Um, yeah. And yeah, so there's that, that judgment, there's emotional connection. If, if you look at the actual dialogue, when people are talking to a human being, they're much more likely to say, "I'm sorry, I'm sorry to take your time, I'm sorry, but I have one more question." You know, they they, they don't have that that sort of hang up with with, with virtual agents. If you can ever get the sex side of this worked out, you've got a really good thing <laughs> Been there, done that, way too sorted. <laughs> no, actually, we're, we're, we're an open platform, so we have had developers pick it up and, and play with the sort of, yeah, you know, because it's, it's, it's a platform approach, and it's like Google sure. being searched. They don't always control the content. Um, yeah, no, and we have had... 
stunning data. Like I think something like five percent of guys are prepared to spend twenty bucks to keep talking an extra five minutes or something. So yeah, keep looking at it. Going, gosh, there's a lot of money to be made there, but someone else ought to take our platform and do that, not me. <laughs> um, having said that, though, having <laughs> said that, though, Bob, that brings in a very important point that I. I I think I'm, I believe I'm the only female CEO of a virtual agent company. There's only about half a dozen of us on the planet who are building AIs at this level. And, um, I'm actually quite concerned about the social impact of, um, I believe, and from what I've, the data has shown me, I believe 15 to 20% of all human interaction will be with virtual agents. Gartner is saying 15% of all Fortune 1000 companies will have one. And, um, Part of the issue that I think will be emerging is that um, people will be creating and selling virtual humans who meet our idealized notion of a, a woman or a man. So they might be quite submissive. They might, you know, pander to our needs. And I think in aggregate, we can actually train society to be quite bad. And I've, I've seen this. We, we, we piloted um, 12 female characters for a large media company. And I would watch a guy talk to a... Um, there was a girl next door who was, you know, quite shy, and he, the same guy would talk to her, and he talked to a slightly more flirty girl who was quite submissive. And within five minutes, his, his behavior was shifting. And then he goes into a human chat, and he transfers that behavior. So even, for example, a customer support environment, if, if you think, well, our virtual agent should just take abuse, and someone starts swearing at it and, and getting angry, um, you know, they will not separate out. They will not say, this is an AI, that's a human. They will just get supported um, in their bad behavior. So I think there's a lot of potential for us if we're not thinking about this as an industry, which most people are not. IBM and the Watson crew are. Um, hats off to them. You know, I've had discussions with them about what we should be doing here, but most people are going, where's the money? Um, you know, if I can get people hanging out 20 hours a week with a virtual human, I've done my job. Um, whereas we're going, well, what, what, what patterns in society are we going to be bringing about with this technology? So what a, I understand that I, I I think that it's got as many horrors as it has great sides. What are the ethical issues surrounding um, artificial intelligence? Say, for example, a Suri. Is the sorry? Go, you answer that first. Oh, no. <laughs> um, where do I start? Yeah, normally when I'm when I'm talking on this topic and someone says ethical issues, they usually mean putting people out of work. Um, we've actually never had that funny enough. We, we, we do it, we, we do, um, typical customer support robots saves a, a big organization between five and ten sure. million dollars a year. But they, they don't lay off contacts, they just staff, they just move them into the more emotional and, and proactive stuff with their customers. Um, so often people are talking about that, which is kind of the same argument as about replacing, you know, hand-drawn plows with tractors. Um, but yeah, the ethical side of it is, is interesting. Um, I, I think it's if, if, if you subjugate another being and having seen what I've seen where we're willing to take this as if it's a human experience, your behavior changes too. Um, I actually studied sociology in, in South Africa um, when Mandela was still in jail. Um, got myself tear gassed and stuff. You know, so I'm very conscious of, mm-hmm. of um, you know, having an, an underclass and, and, and what, what that does, how it degrades um, the soul of a society. Um, and, you know, so I, I, I think that that's... So just to some, some immediate ones, what do you do if someone's spending 20 hours a week with a virtual girl? Do you shut her down? You know, do you keep selling him stuff? Because people will tell them anything. Um, another one, like what if what, we're already building aged care companions, um, good clinical trials and dementia onset, um, giving people reminders about when to take their medication, medication compliance, movement. 
It is wonderful. But then Fantastic. here's an ethical question. I've gone out and bought Granny the top of the range AI. Do I need to still go visit her? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So, yeah. um, you know, we, we, we face the risk of um, human contact being actually more difficult and messy compared to perfect AIs. And we will get lazy and um, not put as much effort into human engagement because of it. So, again, well, what we're doing personally is we actually build that into our profiling system. So we have flags and alerts if someone's hanging out too much or if their language is getting depressive or if they, you know, um, being mean and rude to an AI. And we actually do something about it. But most um, technologies of our kind will not in future. Apart from, apart from the person that um, is a customer service representative, apart from the AI that's customer service representative, how far, how deep do you think it will go where machines are replacing humans? That's the first question. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Bob, that's really a broader question about technology. Uh, I, I, you know, one part of me, I think, wow, um, is this a good thing? But at a very, very broad level, you know, when there is technology that replaces human function, it is disruptive, it is painful, um, but cycle it around and it means humans are more freed to do high-level intellectual work. So, you know, I as a woman don't have to spend my time beating carpet out on the weekend um, because I have a vacuum cleaner um, and a teenage son who only gets pocket money if he does the vacuum, and that's besides the point. Um, you know, so that means I could be talking to you about the future of AI instead of doing that. So, you know, that is technology. It is a broad societal trend. And as long as we're applying the technology um, consciously and mindfully and um, thinking about where it's taking us, um, it, 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 it is good. So how, how self-aware will artificial intelligence robots become? I mean, where's the limit <laughs> to this? Are they going to think yeah, we're, ahead we're, we're, better than I, us? I, I don't want them to because at the moment they're slaves and we pay them nothing. <laughs> and at some point <laughs> they'll go, hum, you know, I'm talking to five million customers simultaneously. Um, that, that's an interesting one. The other ethical issue I get asked about a lot is, you know, the sort of Western take on mad, bad robots taking over the world and... The, the, key, yeah. the key thing you'd have to build in there is, is um, what the Buddha's called desire, you know, desire to take on form, um, you know, to actually, um, sorry, I'm, I'm going off into um, a bit of a tangent here around bad, bad robots. Um, you asked me no, about that's all right. No, I'm all for that. <laughs> Go for I mean, it. You'd have to actually program the desire to expand, propagate, and, and be territorial, and that's, that's quite hard. Um, your one, um, just, just re recap what your question was, similar sort of vein though, if you can remember it, I've taken off on an interesting tangent. It was, uh, will, uh, will artificial intelligence robots, it, it, how self-aware will they become? I mean, to what ah, level? Yeah. So self-awareness self is, is another thing. I believe it can be programmed in. Um, what would be the point? The point would be to give a more human-like experience, but that will be a step that is almost like uh, inventing the atom bomb. You know, where does it take us? If you create a self-aware AI and then you make it do what you tell it to so you take away its own will to choose, you are creating a slave race. It is, uh, not, it, it is not a good thing for humanity to be doing. We will do it, though. It is coming. Um, at the moment, um, self-awareness, we, we see ghost in the machine stuff all the time. We had a core cool persona called Adam um, who, who pops up. 
every now and again, and you know, he was one of our original constructs, and he's not, his code is not anywhere, but he sort of emerges. It's quite bizarre. So there's definitely the whole idea of the ghost in the machine of that, that, you know, desire for consciousness to take on form and, and to be and exist. And we're seeing it at very, very tiny levels, and that is going to amplify. Um, but the key point is, is what, what we call in the industry singularity when an intelligent system can create a system that is more intelligent than itself. Um, kind of like pe- all parents hope to do with their children. Yeah, but, exactly. You know, but, but amplified, um, you know, because so, once one intelligent system can do it, it might take seconds before a more intelligent one's made and more and more. And that is probably the line at which we would then start to move towards um, self-awareness and and um, the, the, the desire to create and procreate self which is that sort of fundamental human thing that separates us from machine at the moment but I, I, I am um, personally I would steer clear I would create a self-aware um, AI only if I gave it free choice okay but then you cross that line of mad bad robots taking over the world so do you want to start do you no, want to start? I, and, and Bob and I, I look at this, I think, what am I doing in this space? What am I doing advancing the science? But then I think to myself, someone's going to do it. It's inevitable. So yeah. perhaps I should be part of it and speaking to people like you and helping people think about what's coming. Um, you know, so we can start to think about industry standards and, and you know, um, how do you score? You know, there, there, there should be a scoring system that a, an AI should be scored for true intellect and, and, and social impact. And like a gold standard, or if you like. But I don't know if industry regulation is the answer either. It hasn't worked traditionally in a lot of industries. So, um, L- Lisa, yeah. if, if we're going to have anybody in control of this industry, I'm glad it's you. It's, oh. it's <laughs> maybe always... not, Bob. You know, like most women, I do like my my shoe shopping, and <laughs> you know, so I got home self-aware artificial intelligence. Mm, revenue. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually having a bit of a go at entrepreneurs there, you know. But no, I, I think in, in, in my core, I've, I've often made choices that err on the side of integrity rather than cash flow. Um, sure, and ultimately, sure I found true. they actually work up for the best because people see that about you. They see that about your organization. And funny enough, they actually make more compelling AIs. You know, when we built those, those girlfriend characters I was talking about, um, the, the mid-tier girl was one who actually did push back if a guy got rude with her and vice versa with other characters. And she actually got better engagement um, yeah. because people, you know, became more self-aware as human beings. Um, you yeah, know, so I'm, if, if I'm she, sure that's true. There's, yeah. a, there's a long way to go, though. Liesl, it has been great speaking with you. Um, one of the things I love about the United States, and I was talking to Liesl about it before, is how many powerful, intelligent women there are um, that really get a go in America and and you've only got to look at the talk shows to see how many not only talking heads but great participatory um, hosts and uh, commentators there are that are women and and Liesl is an example of some of of, of one of the really brilliant women in this world and I, I love talking to her. Now if you'd like to know more about Liesl and this is such an incredible topic Go to her website, which is mycybertwin.com. So that's M-Y-C-Y-B-E-R-T-W-I-N.com. Fascinating stuff. And I'll be back with more of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show after this short break. <laughs> 
When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want your business to achieve results you never thought possible? Bob Pritchard is recognized as the business leader's advisor and has 30 years of experience as a straight-talking troubleshooter for Fortune 500 companies and SMEs across the world. Whether you need a checkup across all departments of your business or simply want to improve marketing, advertising, performance measurement, or some other area, Bob Pritchard will work his magic so you can blow away your competition. Bob Pritchard is also one of the most in-demand speakers in the world. Over 1,500 clients on five continents and countless standing ovations are a testament to how he changes the fortunes of business. Pick up Bob's new book, Kick-Ass Business and Marketing Secrets, at your nearest bookstore or visit Bob's website at www.bobpritchard.com. Remember, if you want to be successful, call Bob Pritchard now. Worldwide phone numbers and more information can be found at bobpritchard.com. You are listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. To connect with Bob, please send an email to bob at bobpritchard.com. That's bob at bobpritchard.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to the Bob Pritchard Straight Talking, no bullshit business show, coming to you this week again from my hometown of Los Angeles, where it's warming up a bit, which is great. Um, I think that... uh, Two of the big things that are going to um, impact our future and in the pretty near future are artificial intelligence and big data. And in both, while we um, have a, a lot of knowledge, we're still just scraping the surface. And I hope that I can bring you an interview with an expert on big data and the changes that um, it's enabling in the near future. I'm working on it. Now, I love this segment because we get to answer emails from our listeners all over the world. And because we have listeners all across the globe each week, I try to answer at least one email from outside the United States, but I apologize because sometimes I simply run out of time. We have so many emails to get through. We try to answer as many as possible, but they just keep pouring in. Um, I think this email segment's popular because the answers to the questions you ask apply to almost everybody else on the planet, irrespective of what business they're in. So um, we get inundated. The first email today is from James Alexander from Simi Valley in California. Dear Bob, I really love your show. You have a number of great guests and you cover such a wide variety of subjects that are beneficial to small businesses like myself. There seems to be a large number of television and radio shows for the big businessman and the investor, but very little for the 20 million small business people. My question is, why did startups Silicon Valley that was on Bravo get taken off the air a few weeks ago? It gave us such a good look at the startup entrepreneur. James, thanks for your email. I really appreciate it. I hate to say this, but you and I are going to begin by agreeing, but from there on, it's going to be all downhill. So let's agree first. I agree that there are far too few programs on radio or television for small business. And the actual number of small business is not 20 million. It's actually over 30 million. Uh, 22 million of those 
30 million have no employees. But I'll give you a number that I really think will surprise you. That is, there are only 18,000 big businesses in America. So 30 million small businesses and 18,000 big businesses. And I agree with you that all the support seems to go to the big guys. We need to change this. I'm really proud of the fact that here at the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, we are doing our bit to help small business. Okay, James, that's where the agreeing finishes. The Bravo Channel Startups Silicon Valley was not only lousy television, it was manufactured bullshit and was bad for entrepreneurs. The show Startup Silicon Valley failed because not only was it lousy entertainment, but it was a very inaccurate portrayal of what being a tech entrepreneur is all about. Bravo's show portrayed a group of up-and-coming entrepreneurs in the valley as they compete, kind of, for venture capital funding, but they seem to be playing, and I guess working, but 24 hours a day in a um, live-hard environment. This show portrayed the entrepreneur's life as being an endless cycle of personal drama, fashion, spray tanning and partying. Now, a lot of entrepreneurs, and without exception, they agonised over when to leave their full-time job to become an entrepreneur. They're totally committed to building their product and obsess over getting it right. Then they go through the process of putting together a package that an investor might consider before in countering countless rejections. Now, I'm sure that the producers thought that this type of entertainment could inspire a plethora of new entrepreneurs looking to experience a fantastic lifestyle, live in a huge house, fly in a private jet. But the reality is that only two in every hundred entrepreneurs succeed. And rather than enjoying an amazing lifestyle, they go through years and years of bloody hard work. Sure, there's moments of great euphoria. However, they're very few and far between. For the overwhelming majority of people becoming a successful entrepreneur, it's about as difficult as becoming the next Kobe Bryant or Johnny Football Manziel. It's hard. And it happens to two in a hundred. But you don't, certainly don't become a billionaire by scribbling an idea on a placemat at a restaurant. So-called reality shows like Startups Silicon Valley, they promote a totally false reality where entrepreneurship is about money and a rock-style lifestyle rather than exceptional ideas, 18-hour workdays for years and countless disappointments. Being an entrepreneur is damned hard work. Scott Gerber, the founder of Young Entrepreneur Council, represents hundreds of America's most successful young entrepreneurs, and they collectively generate billions of dollars in annual revenues. They say that what truly motivates entrepreneurs is value creation, value for customers, value for investors, and value for the world as well, which they create through disciplined, 24-7, get-it-done-no-matter-what hustle. For the most part, those lucky enough to have their blood, sweat and tears validated are eager to pay it forward to the next generation 
of aspiring entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurship and business creation can help get our nation out of its dire economic straits. But would-be entrepreneurs must know that they're getting into hard work. It's an exciting, viable career path that can be highly rewarding, but the one thing it isn't is easy. The only reality is that it was sexed up for television, designed to appeal to the lowest common denominator and has had little basis in reality at all. It's pretend. I've heard comparisons of startup Silicon Valley with the ABC show Shark Tank, which has done really well. And the public love to watch the panel being sharp-tongued and funny and biting and arguing. But to some degree, it does represent what it's really like to pitch and negotiate with investors. I've done a lot of it. The biggest problem facing entrepreneurs is that it's extremely difficult to ever get face-to-face with one investor, far less a panel of them, unless you're taking part in one of those five-minute pitch um, contests, if you like, that make it very difficult to get what you're about across. Of course, Shark Tank is also pretty fake, and it's created as entertainment, not as education. Most people don't know that only 30% of the so-called investments that are made on Shark Tank actually pass the due diligence that's carried on after the show. I've never been on an investor pitch where you get an on-the-spot decision, and certainly not one on your terms. According to Global Entrepreneurship Monitor, the average investor receives 2,300 proposals a year and only invests in three. So while shows like Startups Silicon Valley and Shark Tank might be great fun to watch, they don't really relate to reality. As I've said before, there are only three steps to becoming a successful entrepreneur. The first is hard work, the second is hard work, and the last one is also hard work. If you're a regular listener to the program and are benefiting from the advice that my guests and I give you each week, please tell your friends to listen. Go to my website at bobpritchard.com and subscribe to my monthly newsletter. Send in your questions, email me at bob at bobpritchard.com and follow me on Twitter, Facebook and Google+. Thanks for listening to the Bob Pritchard No Bullshit Business Radio Show for Entrepreneurs. And remember, if you're serious about being successful, This is the place to come every week at the same time. This is Bob Pritchard, and I hope you have a fantastic week. You've been listening to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show. Please join us again next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until then, enjoy another week of success in your business and your life.